Hi, Damien Marcus from 100 Not Out here. MP. Yes, Damo. We all know the importance of having a diary, but who wants a boring old day planner? Not me. Enter the journey of me. Ta-da! The incredible eight-month wellness journal designed especially for wellness peeps like you. Yes, Damo, this beautiful eight-month wellness guide is filled with questions, planners, exercises, reflective notes, and more. Endorsed by the Up For A Chat girls and loved the world over, the journey of me is a must-have if you're ready to live your best life for life. To purchase your very own journey of me and receive a free set of inspirational postcards, simply enter the code COUCH at www.wellandnew.com. That's www.w-e-l-l-i-n-e-u-x.com. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. The Real Food Real is a fresh and educational podcast dedicated to your health. We get real on current research, debunk food myths, and educate you on how to just eat real food. Your host, Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist, is one of Australia's leading sports nutritionists, passionate about simplifying nutrition and addicted to coconut lattes, smoothies, and sweet potato. If you love the show, then please leave us a review on iTunes. Share the real food real with your friends and continue to spread the real food love. team and welcome back to The Real. Today on the show, I speak with Katie Pettuccini from Holistic Endurance Tri Coaching. Katie and I discuss adrenal dysfunction and fatigue, relevant to everyone and with specific case studies and information for athletes. This is a huge area and one I'm sure we'll come back to on the show, but for now, let's dive in. Hi, Katie, and welcome back to the show. Hello. Thanks for jumping on with me today. I'd love to start with um, a quick recap of your background. We know that you were back on the show in episode episode eight, but tell us what's happening um, and what you've been up to. Yeah, sure. A lot's happened since episode eight, that's for sure. Uh, back then, I was writing my ebook, Killing the Grumpy Athlete, and that's now out, which we can talk about later. Um, I now have a little sidekick and she is little she's a little pocket rocket so um, Sarah Grove has joined Holistic Endurance so we now have two coaches um, taking on the female contingency and um, the background of Holistic Endurance is that we provide endurance coaching and triathlon coaching services I guess in a different way to the traditional method so we really respect holistic health and natural nutrition and its part plays in longevity for endurance sports so we don't like to see people come into the sport for a year or two crash and burn get injured fall out of love with it we really want people to be able to start the sport the way they wish to finish it in 10-15 years whatever their goal is Um, without all the major roller coasters and hiccups in between that many athletes face um, through burnout and injury yeah absolutely and I love what you're doing So thanks for sharing that with us. So I really want to start with adrenal fatigue because it's a very common term. Um, But for the benefit of our listeners today, can you start with some background information, what that means um, and certainly um, any sort of impact there that you want to start with? Yeah, sure. Adrenal fatigue is really an official diagnosis. So you'd be seeing a practitioner or a doctor for that. I I do like to refer to it as adrenal dysfunction because it works on a scale, which we'll talk about shortly, I'm sure. Um, And what it looks like is really run down, 
tired athletes or Joe Blows, you don't have to be an athlete to to experience adrenal dysfunction. You're very sensitive to stress. You've probably got poor performance. Um, there's generally some gut issues and nutrition issues that go along with it, a poor sleep, um, poor moods and imbalanced hormones, sometimes loss of period, amenorrhea, more cramping, all those sorts of things. So it does really have a, a large flow-on effect to the rest of the body. Um, it's not like if you've got adrenal fatigue, it's, that's the only problem. It's always going to have a, a flow-on effect and also affect a larger parts of your life. You know, when someone's affected by adrenal fatigue, they struggle to work, um, struggle to train, struggle to look after kids. Um, it's not a great place to get to and that's why I know you and I are so passionate about preventing it and helping people heal from it and not, you know, relapsing. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess the other element is um, what is it? So the adrenal fatigue is when the adrenal glands uh, lose function. So they will never completely shut down, uh, unless it's a super extreme case. Um, but they sit just on top of your kidneys. They're quite a small gland, but they're responsible for the production of cortisol. So cortisol is our stress hormone. I know you've spoken about it a lot on The Real and um, imagine it's uh, always on when you're running around and rushing or if you're at work or you're at a meeting looking after kids and especially if you're training. Uh, so it doesn't really get a rest and so the adrenals are always under the pump to keep producing cortisol and unless you are balancing that yin and yang and um, counteracting all that high cortisol activity, the adrenals will eventually not be able to produce that amount of cortisol and keep up with the body and therefore other hormonal systems start to break down and that's when we end up with adrenal dysfunction. Yeah. So just to go back a step, I just wanted to point out that we aren't going into sort of physiology 101, but the adrenal glands produce a variety of hormones. So we know it's adrenaline and aldosterone, but we um, are specifically, yeah, specifically <laughs> talking about cortisol today. Yep. Um, and I think it's important for us to point out that, you know, cortisol production is actually really normal. We need the right amount to function. There, there, are, um, there is certainly a diurnal pattern throughout the day, which we'll cover with um, our testing discussion. But this sort of fight or flight response is, um, you know, can be very beneficial. And if we go back to an evolutionary perspective we needed cortisol production to allow glucose to be produced for us to you know fight a, a predator or, or run away to save our life but the issue that we face in 2015 is the overproduction of cortisol and certainly at the wrong time of the day uh, which we know is then what is recognized as adrenal dysfunction and if it's not addressed can then lead to that continuum of adrenal fatigue yeah that's right and the uh, yeah, cortisol shouldn't be labelled as the enemy. I think it's just that on a day to day basis, dealing with athletes, I do see how much harm it brings. Um, however, yeah, it should be noted that it is responsible for good performance and being able to train and do all the things we want to do. So we don't want to completely shun it. Uh, we want to balance it and harness it in its what it's designed for. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to talk about the. Um the stages we know it's a continuum um take us through what a normal adrenal 
uh, function looks like right through to the end of a road, the end of the road, <laughs> for want of a better description. Yeah. Okay. Mm. So normal cortisol function, um, you generally wake with uh, your most cortisol and then it decreases from there throughout the day, just quite gradually. There's no major spikes or interruptions or abnormalities. So it would then be at its lowest at the evening, getting you ready for a deep, restful sleep. When your cortisol is normal, you obviously feel really good. You have energy when you wake up. Your energy is rather consistent throughout the day. You're not reaching for caffeine, carbs, sugar, etc., and you're not having mood swings. So that's what the normal picture looks like, which is all very pretty. Then the the next stage is when cortisol goes out of whack and it's generally uh, quite high. Now, that will be very different in uh, people depending on what time of day. So you might find that someone wakes with moderate to high cortisol, then they have a bit of a slump and at around 11 a.m. and then come 4 o'clock they've got a major spike and then up and down again in the evening. So that person wouldn't be having as much sleep interruptions. Another case might be that their cortisol remains pretty consistent uh, from the time they wake through to 4 p.m. and then they have a major spike at you know 6 to 8 p.m. and they're the ones that are going to really struggle to get to sleep or not have a great sleep that's restorative. And that's stage one uh, when there's generally acute stress. Now, if that stress becomes unremitting and just continual, i.e. Ironman training without balance um, or working 50, 60 hours a week with and rushing, then, as I mentioned before, the adrenals just cannot keep up with that production of cortisol. So they begin to deteriorate. And that was when we get into stage two, which is chronic stress. And we start to see the morning cortisol lower. So you're going to start to wake up more sluggish and tired. Um, and it will again decrease throughout the day. Again, if the stress continues um, and the load continues, then there's stage three, which is where we call it adrenal fatigue or adrenal exhaustion. So there's next to no cortisol being produced, so it's really hard to function throughout the day, starting low and ending low. Now, it should be noted that you don't necessarily move through this continuum on a set scale. It's not like you're in stage one for a month and if you stay there, then you're going to go to stage two guaranteed. It's very different for everyone, whether you stay in stage one for two years and don't go any further or maybe you stage one for two months and then you just crash and burn straight away into stage three. And same with recovery. It's not like it just follows this beautiful path backwards to recovery. Everyone's very different. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why testing is really important. So tell us how we test for um, adrenal health mm-hmm. and, um, you know, the, obviously the role of salivary testing. There's a lot of indicators to adrenal health, but let's focus on the one that we can test directly, I guess, uh, which is your, your salivary cortisol. So it's taken over four times in the day to help us give a profile of what I was just describing. So we take one at 8 a.m., 12 p.m., 4 p.m. and 8 p.m. And that needs to be on a day that there's no caffeine consumed so it doesn't skew the results. Uh, And we get a reading of the cortisol levels in the saliva and that comes back with a graph. Um, And that graph will help us dictate, you know, what stage of adrenal dysfunction someone's in. So if the graph 
starts low, ends low, you're looking at sort of that adrenal dysfunction. If it looks like a three zigzags and it's all over the place and quite high spikes, we're looking at stage one acute stress, high cortisol. Yeah. I think it's important to point out there that the testing protocols can be quite different. So the one that we use is um, 6, 12, 6 and 10 p.m. So it's it's not that important, but it is the four stages to give us that diurnal pattern. As you mentioned at the start, we want it to be a nice, uh, nice curve that ends quite low because it's inverse to your melatonin production. So Mm -hmm. we want relatively low cortisol at night, which means high melatonin, which is our sleep hormone, which is obviously what we, what should be happening at 9 and 10 p.m. at night. Yes, and I find that people don't recognise that symptom early enough. So they're, they're taking poor sleep um, as the norm and not recognising it as a symptom. Uh, and even inability to go to sleep because of devices, social media, computer, etc. at night, perhaps that is covering up an issue there um, of high cortisol at night. Or people just sort of accept it and go, well, that's when I have my most energy, so I run with it and I go do lots of work at night, mm-hmm. which is just facilitating the problem. Yeah, and, and certainly, you know, starting to create that chronic environment. Yes, which leads to the dysfunction <laughs> fatigue and exhaustion. <laughs> So let's talk about some early warning signs and symptoms. I have a feeling that there's a few red flags going off for some of our listeners. So we mm. want to sort of um, clarify some, some, some red flags that you might be able to identify and certainly catch this early. That's what we're about. We don't want anyone to end up with stage three and adrenal failure. So let's talk about um, what might be going on in, in the early stages of adrenal dysfunction. Yeah, sure. I mean, this list of symptoms you can get anywhere, right? But it's such a a broad list of symptoms and it's important to understand how they relate to real life so you guys can um, associate and recognise what's going on. So I like to give real-life um, scenarios of each symptom. So if we start with, say, the example of excessive morning fatigue, if you're an athlete... <laughs> Of course you feel tired in the morning if you've done a five-hour ride the day before. So how do you distinguish that? But um, a real-life example I give is even at your most highly motivated self, you can't summon the energy to get out of bed, even if you really want to. It's a beautiful day. uh, You've got friends to meet, but you just cannot get out of bed no matter how hard you try. Or perhaps you've had a recovery week and that it hasn't revitalized you at all. Or you've had two days recovery and you've had and you're still waking up excessively tired. That's a real-life scenario. Yeah, so I just wanted to jump in there because we did post um, a question on the Holistic Endurance Facebook page just to get some listener uh, questions and some listener involvement. And there was a question that was liked by probably the majority um, and how do we differentiate between feeling lazy or being lazy Mm -hmm. and and the difference between uh, being genuinely fatigued. So I think this is an important point because – um, I guess it is a bit of a fine line to make that decision as to, you know, should I train today or would I yeah. cause more damage? Have you got some advice for athletes there? So I feel like there's two ways to approach this. One is to be intuitive and get to there's know yourself. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Get to know yourself. And if you are truly intuitive and you trust the decisions that you make for yourself, that's not you're not going to feel guilty because I feel 
like someone might label themselves as lazy out of guilt when thinking about not getting up. Mm. Um, so let's say someone perhaps doesn't have the greatest intuition and they don't know, quite know how to tap into that and they genuinely cannot distinguish whether today is the right day to train or not or whether to back it off or not. You can use um, heart rate variability um, testing. Great. For those of you unfamiliar, you need a Bluetooth heart rate sensor, which you can buy online, or there is a free app. It's not as accurate, but if you don't have the funds to get the Bluetooth heart rate monitor, there's always an option. So heart rate variability, we will link to that app in the show notes for you. So with the heart rate variability reading, that's going to give you a score and help you begin to understand your body. So let's say the heart rate variability score indicates that your body is under undue stress, higher than normal. Um, you, you'll get to know the right stages and you need to talk to your coach about this or you can speak to us. Uh, as to what's appropriate either to back off a session or completely miss a session or sub it for a recovery session like yoga. Um, so on the process to becoming intuitive, sometimes measurement like that is really helpful by getting to know your body and how it responds to sessions. So if you test your heart rate variability every morning, every night and after every session, you begin to understand what your normal response to training is and how your body is processing stress. So you can pick up any um, abnormal readings as they happen over the season. Yeah, and I think that's an excellent tool for everybody to use. Um, and certainly the excessive morning fatigue to me is a sign to just go and get your tests. Like don't fly blind. No. Find a practitioner um, and, and simply do your adrenal test because what you're going to do is catch it early if there's any dysfunction. So um, don't leave it too late is the message. Yeah, and that's so important. Um, mm. I would prioritise it over many other things. I feel like it should be the stock standard baseline test that every coach or every athlete does at the beginning of their season, you know, after their first race, mid-season, et cetera, just like you would do your standard bloods. Uh, it's just as important. Mm. Yeah, I'd agree. It helps particularly me and Sarah as coaches uh, know how much rest someone might need after an Ironman uh, based on their adrenal dysfunction. Some might need two weeks, some might need a month, some might need two months. Hmm. And actually on that, there was another question that was um, directed towards a post-race slump and what that might mean. So I think that's a, yeah. a relevant point because someone might have been overtraining for a half Ironman or a full and then the body crashes mm. and burns after a race, which we see all the time. It'd be the same as a bride that might crash after a year of wedding planning and a honeymoon or um, someone that's started a new job and gone through like a crazy training block. Your body has this ability to hold on and yeah. until you stop, it's like when you get sick on holidays, like it's the same, same kind of thing. The, the, our body is very clever, but if you push it too far, it will show you. And a post-race slump could be um, certainly, I guess, supported with the right testing and, mm. you know, herbal intervention and things that we'll discuss later on in our management topic. Yeah, I think if you, let's use Ironman as an example, if you don't feel somewhat better after a week, I'd be concerned um, and definitely concerned beyond two weeks, depending on what you've done recovery-wise. I wouldn't do nothing to recover from an Ironman or a half Ironman. You definitely need active movement. Um, but it's an, another important point because people do get away with training sometimes 
with adrenal dysfunction and can ignore it almost and think they're getting away with it until they've raced and they rest or they get sick and they're forced to rest and then it hits them. And that's, I hate that situation. It's horrible because it sends them into a deep dark hole really quickly because they've been pushing their body for so long. See it a lot with Kona athletes. You know, they've qualified and they couldn't really get a rest and they've had to go straight into a major build again. And I speak to people um, off to Kona who hate the process, are over it, ready to be done, can't wait, just not enjoying it at all. And I don't think that's why we're in the sport. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Okay, Where were so we? Other symptoms. symptoms. We go back. <laughs> mm. Okay. Um, energy levels decrease throughout the day. So nana napping, falling asleep at your desk, poor concentration, just general lackluster um, getting worse throughout the day is more a sign towards the um, further ends of adrenal dysfunction. However, if you are supporting your body with lots of sugar and caffeine, again, you might be hiding an issue there. So you might say, oh, I don't need to nap. I'm great. I've got lots of energy. But what are you putting into your body to create that energy? Um, and what stimulants are you relying on? So if you had a day without coffee, what would that look like? And I think that's a better picture. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's our GERF athletes have a better understanding because they're no longer relying on six cups of coffee and and even, you know, sugary snacks or carbohydrates in excess, like the refined stuff. So you get a better understanding as to what your body is doing and what state it's in when Mm. you eat real food and you've no longer got that reliance on on the artificial stuff yeah and that's on that topic is the the other symptom to be aware of is that poor insulin control and craving lots of sugar and salt and carbohydrates and over and above what your body actually needs based on what you've done that day or the day before. Yeah, I really wanted to talk about this topic as well because we talk about fat adaptation a lot on The Real and it's what we do with our clients at The Natural Nutritionist and certainly the goal with Holistic Endurance. So what's really important to remember is that a lot of people dive into their nutrition, they're eating real real food, they're perhaps... Um, you know, low carbing or they're working on their metabolic efficiency, but they're they're not quite getting the results that we would expect. Um, And the adrenal influence is significant here. So we know what happens in a state of chronic stress. If the adrenals are overproducing cortisol, what that does is it stimulates the liver to release glucose into the bloodstream. So the impact would be like you ate sugar. So it spikes your insulin and it turns off your fat burning. So that's going to have a huge impact on your metabolic goals and it's not actually the food that you're eating or it's not actually directly training related. It's what's happening on a physiological level. Yeah, which is why we see so many people that exercise well, eat well uh, and I'd put on weight or, or loot, um, don't lose any weight regardless Absolutely. of what they're doing right. And it's a huge example of why the calorie equation is so wrong. Wrong. We know we've had it totally incorrect for the last 50 years. Everyone else has been like eat more, sorry, eat less, move more, <laughs> um, and you'll lose weight, which is completely incorrect. And it it's simplifying nutrition down to a mathematical equation of which biology is not. Um, and the hormonal impact is is where it's at. It's what needs to be addressed. Yeah, it's huge. And that brings me to my next symptom to be aware of is that um, 
that hangriness. So you get really quite moody and grumpy without food and you it, it goes in line with your cravings and without food you're a bit of a mess. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that can be, you know, an impact of certainly a food model, a food pyramid model, yes. but also an athlete that is jerfing and controlling their carbohydrates um, needs to consider because, you know, you don't need to keep going lower and lower and lower with your carbohydrates. We know that for a fact. Um, And we certainly don't want someone to be targeting that as an intervention if they are still hangry. There's potentially an underlying cause, which is what we're discussing. Yeah, and that was another question that came up um, from the Facebook page was if you're trying to heal adrenally, should you do fasted sessions Mm. and what should you change? And um, the answer is listen to your body, be intuitive and give your body what it needs. And at that time, if fasted sessions aren't working for you and you feel absolutely flat and exhausted um, beyond that initial trial period, then perhaps you need to experiment with real food prior or train at a different time of day. And that's what we'll talk about later around the implications of adrenal fatigue and training and racing. Yeah, but I think what you what you raise there is really important. Like if you've got adrenal dysfunction or adrenal fatigue, metabolic efficiency or fat adaption is not your goal. Your Correct. goal is recovery and getting yourself back to a healthy metabolic state. So fasted training is almost irrelevant Yeah, because that goal is going to come in weeks or months later when you've worked on addressing the major issue. Yeah, because all your efforts just go to waste, really, because mm. mm. you're, you're fighting against your own body. Mm. Yeah, you've got to pick your battles, and that's huge. You absolutely yeah. can't do everything at once. Huge. Uh, to summarise, some other symptoms to look out for, things like poor memory and absent-mindedness, walking to the cupboard and not knowing what you're there for, putting your keys in the fridge, random stuff like that. <laughs> you mean that's not normal? No. <laughs> Uh, for the ladies, it's an increase in PMS, premenstrual symptoms. So either increased fatigue, uh, cramping is worse, irregular cycles, um, anxiety increases. You name it, it gets worse. Yeah, there's obviously it's obviously quite a broad list that won't just apply to adrenal fatigue. But um, I just want to point out that if anyone's listening is has got a few of those red flags, then you know contact us and we'll help you with some testing and some intervention. So let's move forward now. Um, and I just wanted to, to to go back to the implications of training and wrestling just for our athletes that are listening. Um, yeah. So let's talk about um, what might happen in in an adrenal dysfunction or a, a adrenal fatigue um stage state a couple of case like scenarios we could raise here so i'm just going to pick a couple um that i guess are the most common that i come across so for example someone might come to me and they've had their cortisol testing done and their profile indicates that they're in that initial um acute stress stage where the cortisol is quite high and erratic throughout the day Uh, let's say that person is racing in four weeks. The priority would be to manage cortisol, and we'll talk about that shortly and and how you do that, uh, just to get them through to the race with quite a solid plan for recovery to make sure that we prevent any further dysfunction of the adrenal. So 
in that stage, I don't think it's the case where you need to pull out of races or so forth, but you do need to change your expectations uh, if you do come up with some adrenal dysfunction. So over that four-week period leading into the race, the athlete might have more setbacks than normal, might miss a few more sessions than normal, and it needs to just be okay because there's, a, there's an understanding and there's a reason and the body is sending messages. And if you are that athlete, you will perform better if you listen to your body and back off as opposed to if you push through and try to get more fitness at the last minute. So that's my advice there for sure. Yeah, that's huge. Mm. If someone is in that initial stage and it's um, say the uh, end of the season and they're showing high cortisol, it's perfect time to spend three months rebuilding adrenals getting good cortisol management habits in place, uh, looking after insulin control with real food uh, and training that is based around low heart rate and becoming metabolically efficient. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's an important point when we talk about the off-season as well. I think too many athletes love racing, which is awesome on one side of the coin, but on the other it can lead to that – I guess this profile that we're discussing, but certainly the expectations of performance, 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 which, you know, I think is highly linked to being a, um, an endurance athlete. Yeah. Um, but you've got to watch that it doesn't become detrimental. And even the healthiest of athletes needs to have four weeks off a year minimum. minimum. And, and what I mean by four weeks off, you don't have to do nothing, but you could go trail walking, rock climbing, stand up paddle boarding. You can still stay fit and active without the huge volume. Mix it up. Don't have a, don't use your Garmin. Don't use training peaks. Just have a mental break as well because that's the other thing that we haven't mentioned is your body responds to stress, whether it be mental or physical. So you could be doing quite a, a low volume, low intensity program but you might have a lot of mental stress and psychological stress and that's going to have just as much of an effect on your adrenals as the physical stuff. So it goes hand in hand and they both need to be given just as much credit for the impact that they have. Yeah, very true. So let's move forward now with um, some treatment interventions which can also apply to that prevention for someone that needs to assess their their lifestyle now rather than later. So tell us... um, a couple of key strategies for the treatment of adrenal dysfunction. Just quickly, did you want me to give you a implication for someone that's at adrenal dysfunction, so stage three? Ah, yes, please do. Yeah. Look, this, this one's hard and if you are in this place, you're not going to like what I say. <laughs> um, let's say your cortisol results come back and they start low, end low, and they indicate stage two or three adrenal dysfunction. Um, if you have a race in four weeks, yes, you'll make it. Yes, you can push through, but you are going to take need to take quite a long concerted break uh, after that race to be able to rebuild those adrenals up. It could take three months. It could take a year, and that depends on the individual. So I wouldn't be going and entering any other races if you've got one coming up. And again, changing your expectations because this is the sort of scenario where your performance will definitely be impacted it's very hard to race at your optimum with um you know stage two stage three adrenal dysfunction so it's just being aware that you know set those change those goals so you don't end up with disappointment and you can actually just enjoy the day because you understand where you're at and you're respecting that 
Um, let's say you get those cortisol test results back and you have a race in three to six months You have or 12 months, you still have a big decision ahead whether to push through and potentially make things worse or cancel that race, take the break now and get better now. If you take the option of cancelling race and healing now, it's going to put you in a much better position down the track to be an athlete that can withstand um, training and stress in the future. If you do push through, just know that it's going to push out your recovery by quite a lot. Uh, so if you keep pushing the limits, uh, even with lack of uh, adrenal health, um, even though you might get away with it, eventually when that race is over and you've got to face the music, the you know reco- recovery I actually don't even think it's a choice. I think think triathlon or ultra running or cycling or whatever it is will always be there. You you need to be a healthy athlete as priority number one. So if you've got some dysfunction, some test results, something to address, take some time off. It's as simple as that. Yeah, and I think I I pose those two situations because – I know what athlete brains are like and they'll rebel (laughs) as soon as I say that. They're just going to, they're not going to listen to me. (laughs) So I, I, and I also, because I understand the position that they're in, I had the same decision. It was tough, but the consequences are not worth it. (laughs) Um, And I've seen it with multiple athletes. It's just not worth it. And that's what we really want to help people get through because the fallout on, on your life, not just your performance, we're not just talking about PBs and times here. This impacts your entire life and your relationships and your work. Yeah, absolutely. So going back to your question about treatment, <laughs> um, it's a holistic approach, of course, um, multi-prong, and everyone is going to be different in terms of what gets them the best results. So I'm going to start with what gets people the best results quite quickly uh, from what my experience with athletes and people who come and see me. And that is managing their cortisol um, through stress management. And this might sound really fluffy and airy-fairy to people and they don't understand how that can make such a big difference. Um, We can refer you to some resources to help you understand that further. But just know if you take away that block around meditation or mindfulness activity or yoga and do embrace it, that is the key to feeling and getting better sooner rather than any other thing that you can implement. Because lowering your cortisol through stress management uh, is going to obviously make digestion better, uh, so you're going to absorb your food, it's going to improve your insulin control and so all those blood sugar irregularities and energy um it's going to help with your energy to do exercise and train if that's what you so choose to continue with so the the actual strategies i'm talking about i mentioned so meditation uh yoga and i'm not talking about bikram yoga like sweating your pants off in 40 degrees with a high heart rate we're talking about nice relaxing restorative yoga and general, you know, psychology techniques, just working through your stuff, all your mental stuff, uh, whether that's through a psychologist or a counsellor. And then another technique I love, I uh, get all my athletes to do, is legs up the wall. So as soon as you get back from training or even just at the end of the day, uh, lying on the floor, legs up the wall and just lie there 
diaphragmatically breathing, relaxing for five minutes. The breathing is a really important one. I mean, there's thousands mm. of pieces of literature that shows us the benefits of meditation and it's highly linked with that proper diaphragmatic breathing because what's actually happening happening on a physiological level is that your body is coming out of that sympathetic nervous system, that fight or flight, that high cortisol production, and coming back into the parasympathetic nervous system, which is that calm, relaxed state. So even you know when you're angry in traffic or your boss has given you a ridiculous deadline, literally just stopping for a couple of deep belly breaths can change the whole outcome. It can change the whole downward spiral, which would be what happens if you're constantly back in that fight or flight. Yeah, and it also relates to performance. Um, If you are able to diaphragmatically breathe, Mm. you uh, become a more efficient athlete um, with oxygen uptake. But you can, so let's say in a race um, you need to get past someone to avoid drafting and you've got like a bit of a surge and your heart rate spikes. If you can learn to diaphragmatically breathe and control that, your heart rate's going to come ten, down 10 to 20 beats per minute uh, within a minute or 30 seconds as opposed to taking two to three minutes if you continue to push past that little surge without the breathing. So it's a really good strategy to you know, not burn your matches too quickly. Yeah, very cool. And what about the impact of sleep on the treatment for adrenal dysfunction? Huge, obviously. <laughs> so if you're someone that's uh, in that stage one with high cortisol and struggling to get to sleep at night, there's a couple of things you can do to um, repair your sleep pattern. So one would be getting off devices late at night from sort of 6, 8 p.m. if possible. If you can't get off electronic devices, there is a app called Flux uh, to help minimise exposure. Um, Other things are obviously meditation before bed, um, creating an environment that's conducive to sleep, so making sure that your bedroom is for sleep and sleep alone so you don't go and do work in your bedroom, you're not doing high-energy activities in your bedroom, your bedroom is for sleep. (laughs) Uh, maybe one other thing but that's okay that helps sleep too (laughs) um yeah so a lot of it so far is that lifestyle intervention i think it's up to the individual to recognize the areas that are contributing factors you know if you're smashing the coffee if you're working too much if you're up late at night if you're lying in bed scrolling through instagram all of these things are, are simple behavioural adjustments, like mm. simple but not easy. So, you know, we understand the changes that need mm-hmm. to take place, but it literally is a matter of practice. Like you don't just suddenly wake up one day and be good at stress management or be good at meditation or be good God, at not no. using your phone at night. It's literally a daily practice and it's up to the individual like your practitioner can't do that for you your Mm. partner can't do that for you your coach can't do that for you so it's literally a matter of a a bit of a life stock take pick three areas that you want to start with pick one area that you want to start with and practice it as often as possible yeah and that just raised another point for me to think about is if you're an athlete who trains at night that's going to uh, create a little bit of a spike in cortisol in the evening that's perhaps unwarranted if you are already struggling with sleep. So if practical, maybe move that session a little bit earlier in the afternoon or to lunchtime 
another practical time if you are struggling to get to sleep at night. Yeah. And then there's – sorry, go. I was just going to say if your test results show that spike at 6 yes. p.m., then training at 6 p.m. At, at this point in time is not the best decision. And obviously we're both being very practical with this recommendation. Sometimes it's going to be possible um, mm. of – Sorry, sometimes it's going to be the only time possible, yeah. but the awareness of that impact is really important and maybe it's that you have to go legs up the wall, meditation, you know, straight after to start yes. to create that yin and that yang, that balance, which is what it's all about. Yeah, just counterbalancing. Or you change the type of session that you need to do in the PM because mm. different sessions produce different levels of cortisol, which mm. I talk about in my book, Healing the Grumpy Athlete, with, mm. in more detail. Mm. Uh, and then there's the scenario of someone that gets to sleep quite easily, so, you know, their the cortisol levels are quite low, um, but they might wake up a lot during the night. Um, there can be so many different reasons for that, which we won't go into today, but it's still the same lifestyle interventions apply, so getting off um, devices, meditating before bed, because... Um, that's just going to enable you to have that melatonin effect to get into the deeper stages of sleep that's going to keep you asleep. If you're waking up a lot, you're not having any restorative sleep. Uh, well, you might be having some, but not as much as you need. And um, that's obviously what's going to um, make waking up in the morning with heavy legs and not wanting to get out of bed even worse. Um, there are supplements that you can utilize for sleep, so natural alternatives. Um, we can't obviously prescribe over a podcast, so I would talk to your practitioner or one of us for a solution there. Yeah, herbal intervention for adrenal fatigue is fantastic. It, it should almost be the secondary um, point of call after lifestyle, but it's really important to know what stage you're at because there's mm. different herbs that are obviously um, lifting if you call it all low or, you know, settling if you've got that sort of high cortisol profile, that stage one that we've been referencing. So, again, I'll come back to why testing is so important because you want to personalize this approach. And herbal intervention is very successful. There's specific herbs that are called adaptogens. They teach you to adapt to stress rather than react because it's that negative reaction that causes the overproduction of cortisol that can cause the adrenal fatigue. So, Definitely work with a practitioner um, and obviously always start with that testing. Definitely. And then the last couple of treatment options are around nutrition and coffee and stimulants, which we've touched on lightly. Um, but it does just come down to eating real food. So if you haven't, if this is all very new to you, you can check out Steph's resources. There's a new book she's just read. Uh, release the real food reset which would be perfect um, and just being aware that the super low carb you know methods aren't necessarily going to work for you if you are in that adrenal state and so add some sweet potato post training again listening to your body uh, in the right way or come and see a practitioner if you you know want to take the guesswork away from it um, if you are talking about stimulants if you're in any stage of adrenal dysfunction really you you are going to need to take away the caffeine. And I find this is what people find the hardest. I certainly did. But when I did get over it, it was yeah, life-changing. It made a really big difference. I certainly noticed improvements much faster than 
So it was worth the suffering to get off it is, is my message. Um, and, yeah, can I just say on that, I, I really respect athletes that get to that point. Like I'll have conversations with someone in their initial consultation and they'll say they drink four cups of coffee a mm. day. So, of course, the conversation will then start on um, or around the potential negative impacts of that and the bell curve with caffeine as to how it's sort of beneficial in low doses but very negative in something that's too high for the individual. And what I love when you teach someone that is they go away and they have a think about it and they actually um, make the decision that they need to significantly reduce and then eliminate caffeine. And when they make that decision themselves, it's really empowering. Mm. But I think it's because they've got that vested interest as to why. Why? Someone saying to you, quick coffee is like yeah. stabbing you in the heart for a lot of yeah. people. Like we I know agree. how important it is to many people's lives, but it's honestly about being an adult and recognizing what changes need to happen to get you to be your healthier self. Agree. And I had an athlete uh, recently who's nutrition was really good and her training wasn't over the top and she was really struggling and we did a food diary and it sort of came out there was two bottles of coke in there or diet coke um and but either way it's terrible it's just the caffeine effect you know I'd ask the question are you drinking coffee and the answer is no but then I wasn't told about that. So mm. it is important to recognize that it's any form of stimulant. So whether you're not a coffee drinker, but maybe there's lots of Red Bull or Coke and stuff in there, that, that's just as important to cut out. Yeah, I was going for a walk the other morning and there was two ladies walking as well and they um, rerouted past the servo to pick up a sugar-free V. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, I, I, and I'm sure it's common, but I forget sometimes because I'm yes. so wrapped up in my little jerf bubble that I completely had forgotten that people still drink Diet Cokes and sugar-free stimulants. Yeah. So I'm glad you brought that up because it's certainly not just coffee that's to blame. Yeah, and look, we respect that it's a, it's a bit of a process and you don't have to go cold turkey. You know, if you need to be able to function at work, we understand. Things like um, green tea are great strategies to help you get off it, but um, there are ways. There are ways. You don't have to completely suffer. It might only be three days too. What's three days? And then you get over the hurdle. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the treatment side of things. Very cool. Lots of great stuff in there and I hope that our listeners are starting to you know, take some notes and think about the changes that they want to prioritise first. Yeah. So we Very wanted to touch on what you and I see. Common examples in clinic for um, athletes and sort of you know, real life examples. Yeah, because you and I work uh, quite closely with athletes. So I'll look, you know, Sarah and I will look after their programming and you will help and Renee will help us with the nutrition element. And there's, there are some uh, key patterns that I think people can learn from from what we see. So do you want to kick off, I guess, the, the main one that comes to mind for you? Um, I think it's something that we touched on earlier, but I honestly think it's the, not ignorance, but the almost inability to, to know where you're at. You, yeah. you have a conversation with a client as to, you know, what you might think is going on. Let's do some testing. They're almost like, no, I'm fine. And I think you've had this example as well. So jump in when you like, but when you do the testing and you have a look at what's actually going on, it's almost about teaching the client, the athlete to be more intuitive, to be able to tap into what's going on because um, you shouldn't need test results to 
start mm. to create change. Although it's really, really important, it's about recognizing how you're feeling um, and obviously the impact of that when it's ongoing and chronic. Yeah, in my mind, in an ideal world, an athlete wouldn't be too surprised by their results because they've mm. been aware of their symptoms and they've listened to their body. So, and need to bring this up because we it's not like we see this now and again we see this so commonly that people are rushing through life and they don't have that lack of presence so they're not really tapping into how they actually feel it's like when you ask how's your day good how are you good that's not necessarily how you actually feel it's just what flows off your tongue and so when your coach or your practitioners asks you know, how do you sleep? How's your energy? You're like, yeah, yeah, good. But if you actually tracked it and paid attention to it, is it good consistently? Are you sleeping through the night seven nights a week? Uh, how many hours of sleep are you getting? And paying attention to what's actually going on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and giving it credit. And, you know, that's the thing I think, um, but particularly before a big race, uh, it's depicted as normal to be flat up against the wall unless you're training so if you train and then you're flat on the couch for the rest of the day and that's normal but it doesn't necessarily have to be that way and I think athletes do need to listen to those red flags a little more closely adapt their training adapt their nutrition adapt their stress management um cannot get more passionate about this topic but there's another way yeah, it's about doing something different. Like, I mean, we all know what the definition of insanity is. And I think mm-hmm. if you're that exhausted all the time, then clearly the approach is not working for you. Similarly, if you're not getting results, like if you're having a, um, a year where you feel like you're flogging yourself, but you're not getting faster or leaner or fitter or stronger, then it's time to do a stock take and work out what needs to change. And obviously there's something or lots of things that aren't working. I feel so passionately about this. I was speaking about it yesterday as I rode along next to an athlete and I said, I don't understand when athletes put all this effort into being consistent and determined and incredible and rock up to session after session and put all this effort in and make lots of sacrifices around the rest of their life and then go into these races or time trials or whatever it is with continually poor performance or underperforming from what they expect but they don't change anything for like a year or two just imagine if after that first performance you took stock take and changed things you've got it another year and a half of good performance rather than two years of poor performance Mm. and I do see that all the time people just doing the same thing and expecting different results (laughs) (laughs) all the time me too Okay, was there anything else you wanted to add there? All good. Awesome. This has been so interesting and I really hope that our listeners have been paying attention and and having a think about what they want to take um, as their first action step. But before we wrap up today, share with us what's happening at Holistic Endurance and what's on the cards for 2016. There's so much. (laughs) It's exciting uh, having Sarah by my side is brilliant. So we've got quite a few projects on the go. I'll let you in on a few. Um, I mentioned my ebook earlier. So that's Healing the Grumpy Athlete was released in August. Um, Steph does have a cheeky discount code that can she, she can share with you. And that dives in a lot deeper to the topics that we've discussed today. 
it is specific to females for some chapters around hormones and periods and menstrual cycles. However, um, still applicable to males, they can just skip the chapter about periods and I ovulation. I learn about that. Every male has a female in his life, right? <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. So, and, and coaches, this is just as important for them yeah, to read as well. Very, so very true. Mm. That's Healing the Grumpy Athlete. And then uh, Sarah and I just released um, our new program structure and services. So we have a our triathlon program, but we also have a high-performance program now um, alongside a wellness program. So the wellness program is perfect for people like we were speaking about before in that adrenal dysfunction, need to recover or it's the end of the season and they still want some structure to make sure they set themselves up for a wonderful uh, year or season when they begin again. And then finally, we actually... Um, going up to the Gold Coast to run a female triathlon retreat and uh, Steph will be joining us for a nutrition seminar. We have Georgia Rhodes doing yoga and mindfulness. We'll be doing swim, bike, run activities. There'll be seminars on hormones and cortisol. There'll be um, you know, injury prevention through mobility and stability work. It's going to be a jam-packed couple of days. So that starts on February 18th. Uh, Enrollments go live on Monday, the 12th of October. So jump to holisticendurance.com.au and read all the details. Awesome. I'm so excited about the Gold Coast, <laughs> clearly. Yeah. <laughs> Victorians going up north. I'm, I'm very excited. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty tough life here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, team. So there'll be lots of show notes for you to check out. We've, we'll put some information about um, – HIV and stress checking, um, some of our favorite um, meditation apps, certainly where to grab Healing the Grumpy Athlete and your discount code and more information about the a Holistic Endurance Training Camp. So thanks so much for joining the show today, Katie. Um, I'll speak to you very soon. Thanks, Deb. See ya. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.